Welcome to the Faith, Church and Disability podcast. I'm Geraldine, a trustee on the CBM New Zealand board. At Christian Blind Mission, because we fight to end the cycle of poverty and disability, we're glad to be teaming up with the Baptist NZ podcast network to produce this podcast series. Find us online at cbmnz.org.nz and baptist.nz slash podcasts. We hope you find this episode inspiring. Hello, I'm Murray Sheard, CEO of CBM, Christian Blind Mission. And today I'm very glad to be able to chat to my friend Evan Cluley who I've known for a number of years off and on and uh, have gotten to know a little bit better recently and we'll come back to why. Um, so welcome, Evan. <coughs> I'm, I'm just going to throw to you initially just to give us a little bit of your story. Well, first, kia ora. Uh, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, so I, um, I'm you know, living in Rangiora with my wife, May. We've got a 14-year-old ageing dog, uh, and uh, yeah, but I, I think in terms of my story, I mean, I, I have a lived experience of disability. So I, I was born with spina bifida. Um, also want to jump in with, uh, um, ru- I, I valued growing up in a small rural town. Mm. Um, and I think a big part of that is just feeling like I was a valued member of the town and um, fitted. Um, and I think yeah, early on that shaped my self-perception and disability perception didn't really wasn't a factor through my childhood mm. I just grew up thinking I was like everybody else mm-hmm. um, so yes uh, so very much value that small rural town upbringing um, yeah that's pretty much me I um, I think I, I heard recently with uh, I tend to think of myself as middle-aged I'm 51 um, of course that's not far from the truth people said uh, I heard recently about <coughs> 51 being on the downside of life, but um, there's th- things we can talk about uh, there in terms of changes in disability and, and aging. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, the way technology is going, you might not be on the downside yet, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, of course, and you've, as you mentioned, um, a lot of people um, will have a disability as they age. Uh, so people who uh, not necessarily consider themselves um, disabled. It's it's going to be something that a lot of us will will face. Um, mm. So really important <clears throat> to have this conversation um, for for that reason as well. I'm really delighted to have you here. And um, I mentioned that I've gotten to know Evan a bit more lately. The reason for that is for the last six months or so, he's been on the board of CBM. Can I ask you what's drawn you to CBM? I mean, I think as a disabled person, we, we, we've travelled. Um, I've also um, we've been involved in development work directly with disabled people in the Philippines and other places. So we've seen uh, how disabled people live and barriers and the like overseas. So very, I mean, it was just a natural fit in terms of my own lived experience and um, international experience, mm. uh, directly working alongside disabled people and having 20, 30 years in the disability sector in various roles. So um, just love what CBM's doing and value you know, the whole looking, supporting people that are with a double disadvantage of poverty and disability. It's a, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a natural fit. And I think unique, I mean, obviously unique in terms of the development um, and charitable sector. Mm, yeah. Yeah, when I travel with CBM, I, I definitely see that that double disadvantage um, coming out. But here in New Zealand as well, um, there are plenty of challenges that people with disabilities face. Um, in, in my discussions with some, some of my friends with disabilities, um, some of them have said that they, they spend quite a bit of time in their life just having a response to the conditions yeah. Um, that that they that they face um, from having a disability. So, and some of those barriers, um, some of the things that are uh, that take up a lot of their time are yeah. probably unnecessary, uh, needless barriers that uh, the rest of us just haven't thought about and could perhaps remove. What what kind of barriers do you do you face? I mean, I think I'd start by saying that we you know we live in a society that's not generally set up for disabled people. And um, as a wheelchair user, you know, that there is there for me as well. So um, you spend a good part of your life battling through, mm-hmm. uh, look, you know, you're coming across barriers on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of it is the uh, um, battle, you know, I find myself quite often in a battle mode or fight or flight. Is this an issue, this barrier that I'm countering today, mm-hmm. is this an issue where I'm going to push this? Mm. Um, and more often than not, because of the number of barriers, you can't fight um, so many barriers. But but just a general overshot. There's attitudinal barriers, structural barriers. There's discrimination between people who have had an acquired disability and people born with a disability. Mm. The Ministry of Health versus ACC supports that are okay. higher. Um, lack of flexibility of supports. Um, I, I could go on, but I think two of the things that I'd want to touch on is just attitudinal barriers mm-hmm. that can change with education and we'll, we'll get into that mm-hmm. I think but, um, and also structural barriers is yep. some things with a built environment that that is kind of frustrating there's a lot of things that would be an easy fix mm-hmm. uh, ramps access equal access to buildings and I mean some of the things we see is just like you've mentioned it's thoughtless that they, they might have thought part way about access but not mm-hmm. um, yeah, ramp up to the door, but but there's other things that that don't make it. Um, I mean, one, one example, the hotel. I'm saying it's, it's I would consider it to be the the most accessible hotel I've stayed in, and you, you always find things like a in the sh- bathroom and the shelf mm. is way too high to reach. Um, there's always yeah you know, right yeah yeah there's yeah. nothing no, no perfect uh, yes place yet. yeah sure yeah. and actually just picking up on that because we talked about that on the way in and um that hotel actually it learnt from the last time you were here right so it is possible yeah. uh it's just a matter of that, that aha moment going oh of course I, I thought this was accessible but i hadn't thought of that yeah 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 there's other thing i mean uh, uh, attitudinal barriers i'm kind of getting a little bit tired of often out and about in Rangiora and two or three K walks with my dog and people drive past and have a good two or three second long steer. I've been concerned yeah. sometimes because people should be concentrating on driving, driving cars rather than <laughs> looking sideways at me and my dog. But I'm thinking, am I that unique that you need to be steering like mm. that? You know, and then what is my response to that? Okay, um, yeah. You know, so there's changes that definitely okay. we want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of things I want to pick up there. One, one of them, as you're describing facing barriers and the fl- the flight and f- fight uh, mode and trying to figure out when you know am I going to attack this one or not? It just sounds wearying. 
right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it gets you down. Um, you can get to a place of either anger or depression mm-hmm. or both. And I think there's a real sense um, in terms of the health area and me with a increasing disability and cre- increasing impairment. Um, I seem to be spending a good percentage of time through the health system, and mm. I, I really think I've got PTSD now from. Um, my anxiety levels will rise the day before I'm due at a hospital appointment yep. because of all the things that have happened before mm. and misunderstandings and not being valued and treated different. Um, so, you know, you have to decide where well, one is this, the mental space that you're in um, going into that, but then after it with, you're almost like thinking that you go, there's going to be another incident mm-hmm. or lack of respect mm. or um, uh, a yep. number of things. That, yeah, it's like, what, what do you do with that? Um, yeah. But it just it gets to you because it's a daily. Mm. It is a daily thing. Yeah. Whether you're fighting the system for ramps or um, people's attitudes, it, yeah, it's wearying. Yes, <laughs> and our bodies do that, right? The body keeps the score of those difficult experiences, and then, yeah, as you say, the anxiety is more likely to be closer to the surface next time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you mentioned walking the dog. Um, People stopping effectively thinking of you as a curiosity, right? That yeah, must I think also, so. Well, that's what it yeah. appears to me. I'd like mm. to know what's happening in people's brain space mm. when they mm. do that. Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm almost certain they don't do that for non-disabled people who are out and about. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. I don't think I'm that different, or uh, you know what I mean. I mean, it's mm. not. I'm not a curiosity. Mm. So uh, just you know, what are you staring for? What are you staring at, mate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. On. Okay. That's yeah. We'll come back a little bit later to the question of experience in church, in particular, and and yeah, being treated as as a as a curiosity or someone that um, is is in need of things like healing. We'll we'll, we'll come back to that quick question as well. Mm. Um, but um, I just wanted to lead into just yeah, your general experience of of community life and also I, I think church life. I, I think of, um, for me, for example, I worked in international development for 15 years before I joined CBM. And, mm. and looking back to my shame, when I think of the, the projects that we were working on, which were good projects in themselves, but the question of how can people with disabilities access this development project, which might be giving um, livelihoods and freedom and choice to lots of people, mm. but actually the people that are most in need of that and most likely to be left behind probably are people with disabilities. And what were we doing about that? And it yeah. wasn't it wasn't an active question. And um, now, of course, you know, in CBM, I feel like that's that's obviously front and center mm. of of my thought and our organization's thought. Um, but for your experience in the community, um, what are some of the things that you've had to face uh, maybe around public transport or accessibility? Yeah, and, and felt like, gosh, this is really, as you said, it's the world is not set up for us. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll preface that by saying, I mean, whether a person's here in New Zealand or overseas, disabled person, mm. I think there's a really powerful question is, um, what would a good life look like for mm. you? And then, and then from that, obviously, you know, what what do you need? What supports do you need to get there? Um, so, um, you know, and then that's going to be hugely different from um, individual to individual. So, uh, um, I think it's a good open question and starting point. So, in terms of myself and my twenties and looking at what mm. a good life would look like for me, that 
that involved a meaningful work and marriage, mm-hmm. and and I, I you know I didn't think anything other than um, went to university to gain gain a degree in recreation management. Later did a kind of a adjust and. Um, yeah, I have a double degree, so I have a degree in applied theology, and that, that again is another kind of side in terms of where that where that went, um, opening up a whole new world in terms of my Christian faith and and disability and and disability in the church. Um, in terms of a good life, that also involves freedom of movement and getting around. Mm. And um, I'm blessed to be able to have my own car, uh, so I drive, but. Um, more often than not, trying to choose not to drive and look after the environment, taking public transport. But then, you know, that's not always easy if you're a disabled person and we're not there in New Zealand in terms of all public transport being accessible. Um, we There's a story of taking a bus into town to an appointment um, quite recently. And so the, it's a in, it's in bus that lowers. Um, the bus driver then folds a ramp out. I, I can easily push onto the bus and there's an empty space for your wheelchair to, for, to sit but at the other end of the trip the um, bus driver didn't got to the bus depot we couldn't go any further it's not a bus stop or well, he literally is he can't he's at mm. the depot so he stops he didn't he didn't kneel the bus mm. and he looks at me and he goes oh do you need the ramp down <laughs> it's kind of like what in my mind going How else do i do the smart there? thing like yeah of course <laughs> like is it is he for real or but he was for real and i said yes please i definitely need the ramp which made my you know like where was that question coming from yeah. but um but you know i am also grateful for for increasing opportunities like that mm. there's some things that'll be you know with technology and um i'm looking forward to seeing that increase there's a bit of talk in the moment about um ev vehicles and not being accessible um, there was talk on a disability forum once about ev charging stations being okay. up being up a step Right. And so if you're in a chair, you can't get to plug mm. your... So all of the, there needs to be forethought into mm-hmm. the future with that as mm. well. Um, yeah. But, but I think a lot of us are reliant on still on our private vehicles and funding for that. Um, also, you know, stories of services not, not being brilliant. I've, not, I've had Uber drivers pull out of me. And, and in my mind, when I know there's other people that have said that was definitely because... They knew it was a wheelchair user and they didn't want to be picking up wheelchair mm-hmm. users. So um, if I have to use a taxi, I'll use a normal, uh, okay. you know, yep. uh, a big company. Um, right. So there's, yeah, there's obviously a few shifts that need to happen there. Yes, right? okay, so which are attitudinal um, as well. But accessibility out and about, um, I'm actually blessed to live in Rangiora. It's all flat and wide paths and compared to some hillier, hillier parts of the country, it's, um, you know, getting around is fairly easy. Um Yep. Yeah. And how about how about church? Because <clears throat> I know there's there's uh, often question marks about the accessibility of church, but then there's also um, practices uh, and I guess attitudes and assumptions when a someone with a disability comes in um, to church as well. Um, and I've I've heard from a number of people of how they feel. They're instantly a target for prayer, yes. for example, for yeah. prayer for healing. Um, how, how has that been for you and your friends? I mean, that's a that's a big one. I, mean, I think there's all sorts of things in terms of how not to do things or dumb things that happen <laughs> in church, um, whether it's tokenism or disabled people being placed in a bunch up the front of the church, or you know, I mean, I, it comes back to kind of no choice or control. But 
Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, the majority of people that I talk to that are disabled have had negative experiences in church and often related to lack of understanding around, around prayer or just being disrespected, really. Um, part of my story is that um, when my parents came to faith and went, um, well, the, the church, you know, it's a time when the church, we call it the charismatic renewal or whatever, people have more of knowledge of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit, including healing. Mm-hmm. So my parents started seeking healing for me. I was around 13, mm-hmm. and we would go to pretty much every healing meeting mm-hmm. in Dunedin. Uh, well, no, we went to a number of healing meetings um, in town, and, and I even had, um, but the most hurtful thing for me was people in my own church that I knew well, pastors and people that were friends, that were saying to me, uh, yeah, just seeing me, I, I can recognize it now, at the time as a teenager, it just hurt and it felt different, I thought it was weird. Hmm. We'll unpack that in my 20s, going, people couldn't accept me, it felt like people couldn't accept me for who I was, hmm. that, that they needed to see me healed, yes. because they believed in a God that could do that, and so here's an obvious, hmm. rather obvious person that needs to be um, healed in their mind. Um, what in hindsight, I was searching for was simply acceptance. Mm, mm. Um, and, yeah, just, I mean, it, it really sad stories of many, many disabled people I know have had experiences like that, and some of them have never been back to church. Some of them may have been exploring faith and um, because of negative experiences mm. have not gone back to yeah. church. Or Yeah, so instead of finding a, a welcoming place, they found... A place that um, you know any any self doubts that they may have had already were being mm. reinforced yeah. uh, and effectively they were they were pushed out. Yeah, and I think it brings up um, like you mentioned, uh, people needed to see you healing because they believed in a God who could do that. And as if there there's a, and if you weren't healing, if you weren't healed, then there would be a challenge to their perception of God, yeah. uh, their perception of what should happen. Yeah. Um, and what seems to be missing there is any kind of, I guess, theology of, of suffering and, and a theology of sort of God in the real world where, you know, we all want, we, we all want the world to be perfect, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and God doesn't sweep in and make it perfect. And yeah. um, I guess, for someone who's not disabled and who doesn't necessarily see many people with, with disabilities in their day to day, and then does see someone, there's that immediately immediate confrontation with their hopes and dreams and theology as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so then uh, I guess one of the one of the um, ways forward for that is to try and fix the problem but yeah. then you're seen as the problem right yeah i mean it's just sort of um but sloppy theology really mm. but i um yeah i mean uh, yeah that approach where um you're, you're objectifying the person mm. the person becomes almost subhuman it's a you're a it's a you're an object to be fixed there's something wrong with you um god needs to heal you um i you know i i got to the point where in my own life i was told so many times God heals when God loves you. God, God wants the best for you. God wants to heal you. I was told that so many mm-hmm. times through my teens that I, I got to the point where I believe, well, either there is a God and he's going to heal me or there is no God. I mean, it's very kind of, mm-hmm. you know, logical mm-hmm. point. And so, but I, 
um, and it almost devastated my faith, to mm. be honest. I got to 16, uh, kind of seek, uh, have seeking healing for a good maybe two, three years, and healing not happening. Although, you know, there are, there are, I must also acknowledge there are other times where you feel blessed and prayer, um, you, you know, you are, there's other things that happen than there were mm. kind of positive things around that. Um, but I, yeah, it wasn't until I was 17 that uh, God revealed to me himself. I mean, I, I really felt, it's hard to unpack this, but felt the father heart of God, how much he loved me and how much he mm. accepted me, um, how I was. Part of that was... Um, also reading about um, you know Moses's story mm-hmm. and his speech impediment mm. and pleading with God to be different and yes. you know can you pick my brother to speak on behalf of um, God said no I've cho- you know I'm choosing you mm-hmm. um, so you know I mean that, so that's massive um, mm. but you know I mean in terms of I, I do want to see a church with a robust theology of suffering. Mm. We live in a world that's not as it should be. Mm. We live in a fallen world um, and disability is part of that. Yes. And so the frustration of living in the now but not yet yes, era. Exactly. Um, when people need to rest with that. I, I still I'm a little bit frustrated with the church in terms of um wanting to see again the put the push or to drag people to a point of um acceptance and um, just being better at walking alongside people in life mm. and walking alongside people who are suffering. And yes. I mean, there's also touch points here about increasing people with mental health issues and uh, big, big areas. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it feels like there's a link there between the need for a, a better theology, a theology of suffering. Um, but also there's the question of, to me, <clears throat> there's a spirituality alongside the 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 theology so people developing that capacity to hold their own questions hold their own pain Mm. uh when they um they see someone who challenges their theology or or for whom they 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 might generally have a compassion response but um it comes out as i'll we'll try and fix you um because yeah, to me that that's a really, really important thing is to be able to not transfer my inability to hold that to you because yeah. you've got you know as someone with a disability and you and and uh, others that you know with a disability, you've got all the things you listed before around the frustration of trying to do life in a world that's not set up for you. Mm. It's not your job to hold my pain. I've got yeah. to hold my pain, right? Other people yeah. have got to hold their pain. And that requires this growing expanse uh, space for, for, for God to help us hold that and grow our, grow our love and our ability to, yeah, to, hold, to, to hold our own pain. Um, because actually, of course, you know, it's not, it's, not just, um, it's not just other people's pain. We all have our own pain as mm. well. So that growing that space is, I think, important not only for able-bodied people's understanding and um, mm. interactions with people with disability, but also their interactions with themselves and how we accept our, ourselves. Yeah, well, no, I think um, there's a there's a lot there, but I think it's right in terms of encouraging church members to hold your stuff, but also recognizing that if you see a disabled person, uh, often the church environment is a difficult space mm-hmm. to us to be in, mm-hmm. and you add to that, you know, thirty years experience and um, 
Yeah, yeah, and and it, we I'd encourage people to kind of hold back, and partly partly for me is just um, getting to know people. And can I, can I, so I want to give an example of a well, you know, a, two 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 welcomes. So mm-hmm. we went to a large church in our, in, in a town in Ringiora, first time we've been there, and I we deliberately set up the back. I'm making mm-hmm. a choice of that as a disabled person yep. to just I'm there as a visitor. I'm going to check it out. So. Um, but through the through the service, I had all these eyes looking at me, and often um, older uh, older people, and uh, you know again I don't know what to do with that. Just mm. sort of look back and smile, mm-hmm. um, and at the end, towards the end of the service, um, maybe had three people come up and say hi, um, but but for the most part was ignored, mm. um, and just. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't an enjoyable experience. Mm. But very unwelcome. Um, I've I've since talked to one of the pastors there, and we've unpacked that um, together. And that church is actually in a different space, so I also want to acknowledge that. But I went directly from church, kind of with that with that unwelcoming, kind of just almost being ignored or invisible, and then worse stared at, to visiting our local RSA. Mm. And I go in there, and I don't know, I was like, hey, and this guy's like, hey, I'm John, you know, how you going, mate? Yeah. You know, what's your story? And awesome. I'm going, how, how simple is that, yeah. right? Yeah. Hi, my name's so-and-so, you know, how are you? Um, yeah, and I'm like, how come, how come an RSA can yeah, do yeah. a welcome better than, you know? Yes. But, um, but yeah, and I just encourage people to... Um, to work through all of that and just, you know, I, I do want to encourage people to delve in more to difficult passages in the Bible where mm. it's very obvious that we're living in a fallen world and to hold that kind of uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, later on, um, you know, we, I want to encourage people to, 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 to even be in uncomfortable spaces and be around people that are different from yourself and yes. kind of, you know, in terms of self-growth or... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Be be deliberate about becoming more comfortable in spaces where you're not currently yeah. comfortable, and, and with people that you're not mm-hmm. comfortable with, perhaps. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. which is which is beyond the issue of disability, right? It's yeah. also ethnic d- differences. Yeah, I'm being broad with that yeah, deliberately. Sure. Yes. Um, let, well, should we un- unpack more that a little bit more? What what needs to happen there? Do you think? I mean, going back to my own story, I, I saw myself as being different and perhaps better than people with intellectual disabilities, mm. you know, and, and that was because of the confusion around intellectual and physical disabilities, and I saw a kind of them and us, but I think it's a human a human nature to kind of go us and the other, right, or yes. to kind of, um, what is it, uh, the, I don't know if it's dichotomy or the... Yeah, it's just the two kind of either you're in the in group or not, and um, also think there's some really unhelpful kind of um, differentiation that we make: saved and unsaved, mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. It's like, come on, why can't we just do? Why are we not just doing life together? And um, so we've been through a journey. A part of my journey is increasingly kind of being deliberate about spending time with people with intellectual mm. disabilities and then what does that mean for faith and practice and mm. um, you know faith that looks very very different um, and uh, yeah I want to look at I hesitate to say the simplicity of faith but what is it kind of I think we need to think about what is it actually boiled down to mm. and not where we have um, 
you know, some big ideas around theology and everything. But for if you look at someone with an intellectual disability, and we we spent three years in a large community living mm-hmm. aside, living alongside people and just journeying with people mm-hmm. through life and brilliant people that just challenge your perceptions on on everything, mm. um, including faith. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, and the the question that you know is often asked in that context is: Are we doing enough? for these people but the question yeah. how are we enabling their participation in our friendship or in in the activities that they're involved with yeah well, is, that's we... that's the real belonging question yeah 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 they are, how are we doing life together mm. um, does a disabled person feel a sense of belonging where they are or the space you've created at church um, I, I, th- I love this phrase about, and I, and I don't know where I got it from, but in terms of the difference between inclusion and belonging, inclusion is where we are there. Um, belonging is um, when you're not there, you are missed. missed yes. And uh, there's a huge amount in that, that it's beca- obvious it's become your space. Yes. And, and all of that, um, yeah, you can talk about comfortableness, you can talk <coughs> a lot about relationship, a lot about love and acceptance. Mm. Yeah. Um, belonging is powerful. Yes, And so exactly. what, what would that mean for someone with an intellectual disability, a severe disability, to feel a sense of belonging through church? Yeah. Um, also want to talk about, um, I want to make it clear, because I don't want to talk about Sunday morning from 10 to 12. Yes, of course. To talk, you know, all of church. So mm-hmm. um, I remember other people's um, story, like Mark Grantham, you know, and his story around d- just welcoming Again, I want to talk about journeying through life together. So um, does that mean that yeah, are you inviting people um, around to your house? Mm. Um, are you really inviting people into your life? Are you really doing life together? Um, doing with, so whether it's cell group or youth group or church camps, are disabled people part of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're really church and you're walking mm. through it together, um, yeah, all of life. Mm. Yes, and I think you've really um, nailed something for me there around spending quality time because that's what yeah. belonging in, entails, right? It can't mm. just be, well, we've ticked this box. Yeah. It's got to be about, um, yeah, it, even in, in the busyness of, of everyone's life to be able to say, well, actually, you know, I will take the extra time it might take to engage with this person and until they are able to feel like it's the most natural thing in the world to be part of this community Mm. Um, and so yeah so starting with making sure we have a ramp but then moving through to uh, making sure that yeah the the formal elements of church are are inclusive but then as you say all the informal and out of the service things that that go on so that um, yeah everybody if they're not there is missed yeah. yeah, I also think there's a point when I was in an Auckland church and I thought, yeah, well, we're there now. And so it was just one small thing that happened. Mm. And I'd been bouncing between two churches and considering jumping across to one. Uh, and so I was asked by quite a high-profile New Zealand sports person at a very... Um, I mean, I will name the church. It was Community Christian Fellowship in Kelston. Mm-hmm. felt very welcomed mm. and very... Um, I mean, it's just a brilliant church. So... Um, I was asked a question by the congregation member something, so I wasn't actually part of that church. I wasn't, hadn't sort of been integrated into all of the church at that point. But I was asked my opinion on a small matter of the church. 
I can't remember what that matter was, but I remember being asked the question, and that so you know my point is that you don't ask questions, you don't ask for someone's opinion if you don't value mm. that opinion. Yes. And then I suddenly I went home and I thought, I've never been asked my opinion on a church matter before, ever. Amazing. Yeah, and yeah. So, well, that, so hugely empowering and. I mean, I ended up, of course, I ended up um, going to Community Christian Fellowship for some time. But I, but you know, there's some power in that too, in terms of coming alongside people and, mm-hmm. and maybe go back to the um, the bigger church question: What does a good life look like for you? I mean, I have I, two disabled friends I know that they were struggling to get their garden, both of them wheelchair users, and mm-hmm. their church said, you know, how can we help you, or what can we do mm-hmm. to support you? They said, well, our garden's a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, within a week, a team of people from church were around to tidy up the garden. Yeah. So, that, you know, great question, mm. very clear answer from the person and, and, and a response. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think sometimes we get tied up with, uh, you know, the preaching, the teaching, those kind of things in church. But we're doing life together is very yeah. simple. Yeah. Well, actually, that reminds me that the founder of CBM is famous for saying that love is the sermon that everyone understands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the yeah the founder of, of CBM Ernest Christoffel um, obviously set up a, a global movement, and of course, uh, a lot of the issues we've discussed here about the experience of people with disabilities in New Zealand, as as I guess badly, arguably badly supported as people with disabilities in New Zealand are, uh, and the the long way that we have to go on that. Mm. If you think about it from the context of people with disabilities overseas, where there is no social welfare system and lots more stigma, yeah. um, that's the context that a lot of a lot of our work is in. You've travelled um, and done some work in the developing world too. What what was the some of the key sort of experiences or takeaways that you found from there? I mean, I, I do want to acknowledge your first point because I think we're. Um, there's always a balancing act in terms of being grateful for what you mm. have in the country that you live in. I'm grateful um, for financial support, government support, and um, wheelchairs. Mm. We're about to get another wheelchair, That's and fantastic. then the balance of realizing that for people overseas, that's not very often not affordable, not accessible, not an option. Um, so my experience with working with Elevate Christian Disability Trust. And through my own experiences with wheelchair racing, travelling to 13 different countries mm. and seeing how disabled people live and just sitting down and talking, um, again, doing life with people overseas, and particularly in the Philippines. I've had six trips to the Philippines on development work and, um, you know, some of what you see is heartbreaking and sobering and you do what you can. I mean, what do you do when you find a family that has three... Uh, four children, three of them disabled, um, with a cerebral palsy or a similar disability, and they spend most of their day on a mm. large bed each. Um, we were able to um, find three children's wheelchairs, and the difference that that made just so that people could get out and about. Um, other issues with um, lack of lack of access for people to to even transport. Um, there's a, there's a whole lot of things I could throw in. Like we were supporting a young deaf woman for to paying for her schooling, but then we found out that she had stopped. She wasn't able to continue to do the schooling. We found out because she couldn't afford the transport mm. to and from. So we said, you know, we're happy to 
to jump in and contribute there so that she could continue in education. Mm. But yeah, I mean, again, just love the work of CBM and, and um, we can be very much involved with some of the simple things. I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean, say, so for example, for a person in Papua New Guinea that, that has cataracts, they can't say, what does that mean for, to have a simple, what mm. is it, 12 minute operation right. and, and to, to get their sight back? I mean, there's all of the, the, the world opens up, access back to family, safety, getting around the village, um, their health, you know, health restored. Education uh, if ed- they're young. Yeah, yep. education, transport. Um, and, and being able to work and, and earn a living, a livelihood for yourself and your mm. family. Mm. I mean, that just opens, yeah, I mean, it's just massive. I can't under, under sort of state being involved with that and seeing that change in individuals and, mm. you know, um, and, and for our experience, people that are our friends in the Philippines and mm. have been through that, through the support and Yes. You're having those changes made for them, um, mm. whether that's accessing equipment or um, health options. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it reminds me of a story from Indonesia of um, one young girl who wasn't um, had a mobility disability, and at that their context uh, mainly she would just lie on the bed, which mm. is yeah, terrible, terrible life. But um, she was also her father was a teacher and it often taught at home and she just learnt a lot and they mm. ended up realizing that just because she had a mobility disability doesn't mean actually that she wasn't super super sharp mm. and in the end she ended up becoming a, a teacher in a, a, a school for people with disabilities and it's that yeah changing that perception again that those attitudinal barriers of um, well I've put you in this box and mm. to open up that box and all it took was a, a few opportunities to make yeah. the difference yeah and yeah. sometimes you know our friend Brixio in the, in the Philippines um, mm. going from a very very small rural village in the southern part of Brixio has polio um, it's hard for him to get around but being walked alongside through through a number of access I mean Brixio has gone from childhood and poverty and, and lack of equipment and all of that to now as an adult, he's one of the leaders in the disability rights mm. movement in the Philippines. Um, and, and But it's taken people and supporting him, encouraging him, um, building him up to that, to that place. And I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's great, yeah. So that, that, and that, that brings me to, um, to a sort of link again back to, to New Zealand. So um, we in CBM are guided by um, the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, and that's important here as well. Mm. Uh, and, and having that kind of convention means you can, you can advocate for changes that we've signed up for. Yes. But what's still missing do you think? Okay. That's a very broad question. I mean, I know <laughs> yeah. too, because in the sector with the Accessibility Act being debated right now, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think that personally that act, and I mean, there, there's good in the movement and there's good initiatives. I think sometimes we lack the teeth or the legal teeth to, um, to kind of get things done. So what do you do when you identify a barrier? Uh, I mean, in New Zealand, we have a Human Rights Act, um, anti-discrimination you can't discriminate on the basis of disability but the reality is right now that even working through barriers to try and remove them is hugely problematic and um, I'm a number of people in the sector don't think the Accessibility Act will change that but um, 
I, I think on the positive side, you know, with the Faikaha, the Ministry of Disabled People, mm. that, that's hugely positive mm-hmm. in a place where disabled people have a, a very strong voice yes. and a lead in that and have choice and control on the process. So um, I'm, I'm uh, optimistic, hugely optimistic that it's going to lead to very, very good places and um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll continue in New Zealand, Aotearoa, along sure. our journey towards inclusiveness yeah. and sense of belonging for disabled people. Yes, and that's a very powerful point and something that's important for us as well is the, is the question of making sure that those who are most affected are those whose voices are heard and yeah. are in the design process right from the get go. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Nothing, nothing about us without us. Yeah, and um, who's I, leading? Who's leading it? Where does the power lie? That's right. And I, was re- I was recently with a Pacific Disability Forum conference, and they're moving more from even from nothing about us without us to nothing without us. Again, yeah. it's not just the issues that are facing us. Um, we're involved in all of society, so yeah. include us in all of it, which I thought was a really positive move. For Tuma from Uganda was so sad, desperately lonely, bullied, and left out all because she was born with bilateral cataracts. Abandoned at birth by her parents, her grandmother Gertrude couldn't afford sight-saving cataract surgery. It doesn't have to be this way. For just a dollar a day, you can give the miracle of sight. Call Christian Blind Mission 0800 or visit cbmnz.org.nz. Um, Let's close by looking uh, a little bit more at, at the Bible, in particular um, Jesus and um, Jesus' response to people with disabilities. Mm. There's obviously something about people with disabilities that Jesus stopped and listened yeah. uh, in quite a powerful way. So there's something quite powerful going on there. What's been your engagement with the stories in the Bible? Yeah, I, I think... Uh... In terms of Jesus' journey, where you, you know that there's a lot of interaction and, and, and some of it's problematic for disabled people mm. who've seen Jesus and a lot of the narratives is Jesus sees a disabled person, he heals the disabled Healing. person, yeah. life is good, and you know. Um, but So the putting that through a disability lens, I see um, that Jesus was about the mission of his father. He was obedient to that. You see that the journey towards Jerusalem. I think a lot of the kind of power encounters that you see, um, even including Jesus healing disabled people, it was simply pointing out, I, I'm the son of God, because only God has the ability mm. to, to heal, right? So, and, and then he was doing that in front of other people as visual, and people knew he was the son of God because of what had happened. Um, there's passages I kind of like to mull on. Um, Paul of Bethsaida, how mm-hmm. many how many disabled people did Jesus heal there? One, one recorded, yeah. One. yeah. So does that mean he didn't care about all the other disabled people around the pool? Of course not. But why is he happy to heal one? Mm. And the narrative mm-hmm. stops there. Mm. There's all these things. I mean, we we know um, Jesus loved everybody. So um, the, the I want to leave people with the. Um, story of Bartimaeus. Um, mm. Jesus, first of all, he noticed the need. Bartimaeus himself had a strong voice yes. and was told to shut up. <clears throat> um, That's right. Just, you know, how dare you shout out? Um, you know, you keep your place. Um, he continued to shout. Jesus noticed, came over, and that hugely powerful first question, uh, what can I do for you? 
Exactly. Which well, which seems like, on one hand, is it a no-brainer question? He yeah. wants to be healed. But actually, he didn't make that assumption, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, imagine if he answers, like, my grandmother's sick and can mm. you heal, can you, yeah. you know? The, the kinds of concerns that any of us yeah, might have, yeah. But we've been a really good place to, uh, to ask that open question. So, you know, the the power then, Jesus transferred power to Bartimaeus. It's totally in his, or well, not, to, you know, it's a, it is a relationship thing, but um, Bartimaeus asked an open question in yeah. response, hmm. and Jesus meets that response and meets the need. Yes. Um, also want to talk about, we, we touched on it in terms of international development, what, what does um, Bartimaeus' healing, what did that achieve for him? Mm. It means he's restored to family, mm-hmm. restored to his community, restored to worship. Mm. He's now able to enter the temple. He would he was on the outskirts of society. Mm-hmm. He would have been able then to go back into the village and live centrally. Um, but, it, you know, all of those things that were accomplished, we can accomplish and doing the work of Jesus here and now by yes. by removing some of those barriers that you know giving people the freedom mm. to be able to participate fully in society um, yeah and, and the and the support that people need to, to yep. do that and there's a couple of things also that stand out for me there was like you said Jesus asked him but he didn't first of all ask someone else oh what do you think that guy needs right yes. it wasn't yeah. which is often I think the way oh just we'll just avoid the direct kind of maybe uncomfortable questions and just ask someone else and yeah. actually no Jesus d- wasn't didn't care what the others thought what do you need is the, is the, is the well, key he, question he also sidelined the people who were trying to prevent him mm. from getting to that's right you know it's kind of like stand aside I'm talking directly to Bartimaeus he ignored the other strong voices yes. in the well, I was going to say in the room but you know and um yeah. Deliver it. It's him an interaction with one individual. It's fo- his total focus is on Bartimaeus and yes. his response. That's right. And which is the, the and the next the next thing that it really stood out for me is that yeah, he, he he didn't listen to those people and they were trying to stop Bartimaeus, but eventually they were actually helping him. So what yes. one of the things that Jesus had done it was to transform those around transform the community so yeah. that they were then um, becoming more, you know, part of the, the potential community that Bartimaeus would would go back to. Uh, and I think that's, you know, in many ways, that's what that creation of, of real community uh, is what Jesus uh, is asking of us as yeah, well. Absolutely, yeah. and we see that too on the healing of um, what is it, the the raising on the dead of the widow's son, her only means of support. Mm-hmm. So Jesus mm. raises. What does that mean for? Um, but that's restoring, mm. restoring that family and then the the, the community and relationships. Mm. Yeah, and and that leads us, I think, to you know the final thing we could talk about is just um, you've mentioned we've mentioned some barriers in church, but you've also had some good experiences in church. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us a story about that. Yeah, so I wanted to um, finish on a positive and highlight one church, um, Titterangi Baptist Church, that for me, when I first shifted to Auckland as a young single person, was very, very welcoming. Um, and, and three stories around that, because I, I was um, integrated into a cell group that was huge in terms of forming relationships and friendships. Charles Hewlett is well known. Um, Charles and Joanne welcomed mm-hmm. me into their home group. And um, also some simple things that um, one congregation member noticed that I find it difficult to, uh, he said, like, he came out, he said, I don't know what to do with this. He said, I've seen it hard for you 
to go and get your coffee and then he said you have to leave a conversation and you can't carry carry your coffee back to all the friends that you were talking with right. and yeah. said how about he said how do you have your coffee and can I bring it to you he said I won't interrupt your conversation I'll just make your coffee and and I thought brilliant. how brilliant is that because otherwise I'm sitting there I mean if you're in a chair you've got a coffee in one hand you you can't go anywhere and so it breaks sort of relationship mm-hmm. and, and conversation. So that was a yeah. very, very simple thing. Very um, perceptive of that person, yeah? Yeah. And yeah. one of the first times I was there, a remarkable thing happened. Um, Hudson Dean, a congregation member, um, invited me to his house mm. for lunch. And we got to his house, and there was about 20 steps <laughs> at the front door. And he goes... Oh, I didn't think this through <laughs> very much, did I? He goes, never mind. He said, um, d- are you happy with being lifted up the stairs? If we can do that safely and get some people around here, um, we really want to have you for lunch mm-hmm. and we can still make it happen. Um, do you want? Are you happy with that? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. So he got on the phone and got a few yep. more people around and uh, lifted me up the stairs yep. and we had lunch and formed, uh, you know, again, it was about relationship building. and. Yeah. But the love and acceptance I felt um, and being very different from other people's experiences was, was mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. Simple thing, right? And also then uh, being asked that question, yeah, not absolutely. just assume, assume, Because yeah. then, yeah, I, I might well have been very uncomfortable mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. being lifted up the stairs. Yeah. But I wasn't going to miss the opportunity sure. to, yeah. Um, yeah but, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, kudos to Tittering mm. Baptist Church. Very, very grateful. For, um, in fact, we've still got many friends. Um, you know, we've been away from... Auckland for some time now, but keep in touch with a number of friends and people. Friends at Titterangi Baptist Church are very much part of that. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, thanks, Evan, so much. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground of things that are, are dear to my heart and um, dear to CBM's mission. And I know um, are, are things obviously that are very, very close to your heart and your experience, and not just for yourself, but for for so many of, of your friends. So I'm really glad that we can tell your story. Uh, so. Yeah. big ups for you for coming in and I really appreciate the conversation oh, thank you for this opportunity I know I mean it's a big topic and we could we could go in a whole lot of different <laughs> areas I know today we've t- you know some touch points but hopefully we, we've left people with a few things to think about and, and where, where people can go in terms of building relationships friendships with disabled people and you know if it's church to for it being a welcome and, and, and place of belonging yes. for everybody mm. brilliant Evan thank you thank you Thank you for listening. For more information about CBM, find us online at cbmnz.org.nz. For more great podcasts, go to baptist.nz podcasts.